Hey guys, welcome to the Fellowship Greenville Students Podcast. This week, Jim Thompson finishes up our series, Splinters of Doubt, and talks about the problem of evil in our world. He talks about six unhelpful answers to give people when asking about why bad things happen in our world, and then gives three responses that we should have when talking about the problem of evil. Jim encourages us to think about how we don't have to have an answer that solves the problem of evil, but we do have a relationship, a relationship with Jesus who defeated evil and brings us peace. We hope you enjoy this message. Hey, I'm Matt. It's all good. We're best friends. It's all good. It's all good. <clears throat> Yay. Um, so I'm Jim, and I'm one of the pastors at Fellowship Greenville. If you haven't seen uh, my big dumb face uh, on, during, on a Sunday morning on a screen, uh, lucky you, but I get to preach and teach on Sunday mornings here. And so um, it's cool to be with you guys on Sunday night. Um, you guys <clears throat> are doing a series called Splinters of Doubt, if you look up on the screen. And yesterday my daughter came to me, and she was playing with her friends out in the backyard, like ninja, princess, warrior, whatever she was praying, playing. And she got this little splinter in her uh, pinky, and she was trying to be all, like, hardcore about it. She was like, Dad, check it out, but it doesn't hurt at all. And I was like, well, if you leave that in there, you know, that's, that's not going to be pretty. Like, your, your finger's going to start shooting blood and explode, and, like, then you'll die. Because I'm a good dad. Um, but I, we were like, you know, actually, sweetie, you got to take that thing out or it might get infected and all these things. And, she, and then she realized, okay, this is probably not good. And I'm talking about the pain of removing the thing. It was like she was like giving birth or something. I was like, sweetheart, take a deep breath. It'll be okay. But I convinced her, hey, if you leave this thing in, it'll be worse than if you don't deal with it. And so we're going to deal with it. And the pain of her dealing with it, it hurt a little bit for just a second, but she knows it was worth it in the long run. It's the same thing in the Christian life sometimes. You got to wrestle. You got to face some really hard questions, really weird questions, really tough questions. And they might be, they might be thick. Never settle for easy, wussy, spineless answers. Don't do it. Don't settle for like just black and white, yes or no. Fight. Open your Bible. Pray. Ask people who are wiser and older than you. And some of the questions you guys have been talking about in this series requires some of that. And hopefully like a 35, 42 minute talk from Densky are just going to keep you guys thinking about that. And so tonight we get to close up this series, Splinters of Doubt, and we're going to take out a little something in your little pinky and I'm going to be a uh, daddy Jim up here. And we're going to take, take out a little something in the pinky if that's all right. Um, so that you guys, yay, woohoo, so that we can be best friends really quickly. Uh, just a couple things about me. I'm James Walker Thompson, the fourth. My son is James Walker Thompson, the fifth. Uh, uh, let me see what else. Oh, my wife. Oh, this is the only thing I really want to tell you so that you'll pretend to like me. Um, some of you may know this, but my wife and I both married, uh, we, we married each other, but, but her parents, we both married just FYI. Her parents are James and Donna and my parents are James and Donna and that's just cute. But we discovered that, uh, her James and Donna and my James and Donna were both married to each other. Um, December 30th, 1978, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time Zone. <clears throat> okay. This is, I mean, we should talk about predestination tonight, right? Because, I mean, <laughs> that's Moneyball. Hey, that is funny. Thanks for laughing at my joke. But uh, that's the coolest thing about me. Like, if, if we get to know each other and be best friends like we're on our way to, uh, that's as cool as it gets. So, uh, good luck. That's, sorry, that, that, that's all I've got. <clears throat> um, I, I, I do want you to know, though, that I, I take it as a high privilege and a high honor to be a pastor here and to get to share with you guys and get to open scripture with you guys and to get to think well about hard stuff. And I do want to get to know you. I want to get to love you and serve you in whatever way I can. And so it really is an honor for me to be here with you guys um, tonight. 
Um, last little word of introduction. Most of the time on Sunday morning, what I do, what we do on Sunday morning is, is we're going to open up one passage of Scripture. <clears throat> if you come here on Sunday morning, so we're going to walk through that passage of Scripture and kind of see what's there. Um, this evening, we're going to ask a question, and it's going to be hard and tough and really difficult question, and then we're not going to get to Scripture to the end, because we're going to go through a bunch of kind of wrong ways to answer that and think about it, but we're eventually, at the end, going to come back around to how does Scripture speak to, to this issue. <clears throat> so here's how we're going to get started. Here's what I want you to do. Um, raise your hand. Just, just, I used to be a teacher. So just tell me, where do you get your sense of fairness from? Like, these things are right. These things are wrong. Like, my kids, I could tell stories. Like, they like to yell and complain and fuss about, hey, no, no, you did this. Give me that Pokemon. I'll slap you, blah, blah, blah. Like, they like to do these things. And I wonder, like, where did they get that sense of justice and fairness? No, this is right. No, that is right. No, this is wrong. So help me out a little bit. Where do you get your sense of things that are right and wrong? Where do you get your sense of fairness in the world? What do you got? <clears throat> Mom, just mom, not dad. Okay, who else? <laughs> who else? Dad. Okay, well, dad's playing in this round. Anybody else? Where do you get your sense of fairness? Grandparents. Grandparents? All right. Grandma's coming through over there. Where, anybody else? Where do you get your sense of fairness or justice or rightness in the world? Society. Teachers, society. All right, pop culture. <laughs> what else? TikTok, good. No, I'm just kidding. She said, <laughs> she said the Bible. I'm just, I'm just, yeah, what else? Brothers and sisters, all right, hopefully they're good ones. Anybody else, where do you get your sense of, of fairness or rightness or justice in the world? <clears throat> Who? Pastors? No, that's too much pressure for me. What else? Who? <clears throat> School? Nice. Good, good, good. So <clears throat> here's, what I, here's what you're telling me is that you have not one or not two, not just mom, not just dad. You have a dozen plus places from where you're getting your sense of this is right and this is wrong in the world. <clears throat> So here's what I need you to do now. We're going to play a tag a buddy, tag a partner friend beside you. Lean over to somebody beside you, and I just want you to say something unfair that's happened to you in your life. Like, dude, this, is, this happened. This was not cool. This teacher did not give me the benefit of the doubt. I deserved an 85, and she gave me a 45. Tap somebody on your shoulder beside you. Be like, this happened to me, and this was unfair. Find somebody beside you and be like, dude, this happened to me, and this was unfair. Make sure you listen to somebody and you tell somebody, this happened to me and this was unfair. All right, 30 seconds. Make them good stories. You know, you only have 58 seconds. All right, good. You guys get to be my best friend, and I'm going to tell you one time when I got treated unfairly. I was a senior in high school, Southside Christian, 2.2 miles down the road. Go Sabres. I started, I started my senior year Southside Christian basketball, and I was a white boy, but I could hang a little bit. And listen, I tried to pretend to be cute, cool, and fun, and fast on the, on the court, and I w wasn't really. I was a decent defender, but I would try to throw like these behind-the-back passes and stuff. <clears throat> and here's the thing. I was not fast, but I had a decent basketball brain, and I would throw these behind-the-back passes, two cutters in the middle of the lane, and hit them in the temple, and they weren't ready for it. Wide open layup. And here's the deal. I was Pistol Pete, and three of you know who that is, but here's the deal. I was crushing, and my coach pulled me and I was like listen coach uh, he used to play he used to be a fullback in college I was like coach I know that you can crush my soul with your calf muscles but this is unfair <clears throat> this is an injustice you owe me one coach and what I mean by that is like you owe like pad the stat sheet for me a little bit right 
So every one of you has a dumb little version of that. This happened to me and it wasn't right or this wasn't unfair. Watch this. Every one of you, watch, watch, watch. You think the thing that happened to you is unfair because people told you what is right and wrong and and not and, and what is fair and what is unfair. People told you things and then you interpreted them by a certain way that you live. And so my question is, how do we know if the things that we were told are right and wrong are really right and wrong? <clears throat> but now let's, now let's broaden it. Because everybody has it. It's not like there are people over somewhere else in the world or people that you haven't met yet that live here in Greenville and they're like, no, dude, I come from a neutral place. My mom and dad were just both Siri and just FYI. Like, that's not, that's not real. Everybody has a perspective that they're coming from. Everybody thinks that there are certain things that are right and certain things that are wrong. So everybody, that's the case for them. But here's the deal. Now think of some of the biggest injustices you could think of. Think of, think of some of the biggest unfairnesses in the world. I graduated from North Greenville right up the hill a little bit, and there were two brothers. Yeah, go Mounties. No, I'm just sorry. I'm Mounties. This is, the old mascot when I was there was just literally a dude with a corncob pipe, and I'm not kidding, cut off overalls. Like, you think jorts are legit? Cut off overalls. That was my mascot. Not my mascot. Whatever they are. <laughs> but here's the deal. There were two brothers that got there right when I left, Kenny and Chris. And Kenny and Chris, everybody loved Kenny and Chris. Everybody did. They went on to be youth pastors. <clears throat> they went on to be pastors. And they were so chummy and so smiley and so cool and so funny and so dorky and so dumb. They were never too cool for anybody. <laughs> always sacrificial, always loving, and always kind. Chris stayed down here in the south, and Kenny moved out west to West Texas. And Kenny never met a stranger. <clears throat> Nicest guy in the world. Married his high school sweetheart named Melissa that my wife went to high school with. Three beautiful kids. <clears throat> Kenny, Melissa, <clears throat> West Texas. Kenny's a pastor at this church out in Midland, Odessa, out in the middle of nowhere in the desert, West Texas. Nicest people in the whole world. One month ago this week, <clears throat> I woke up to a flurry and flood of DMs and text messages that Kenny and Melissa got in a car wreck and both of them died. And in the back seat, all three of their kids lived. All three in the back seat, still alive. Now, whatever unfairness you just mentioned to your neighbor or friend, okay, that's nothing, right? I mean, this, this is an injustice, this is unfair. Like, there, there's no end to asking why when we think about Kenny's life cut short. I mean, dude was 32 years old, the most kind, sweet, happy, incredible pastor and father and husband ever. And his life was taken from him. <clears throat> Here's another one. I just listened to this podcast because I had a long drive called Detective Trap. It's a true story. I'm all about the, like, crime podcasts. And this lady's name, she's a little Latina girl in California, Anaheim, California, named uh, Julissa Trapp. <clears throat> and she's a Christian. And uh, she's, like, finding bodies that are dead in the middle of the street and solving crimes and, like, looking for clues and all this stuff. And so she finds this body, and she's looking for <clears throat> how it got there and what happened. And along the way in this podcast, they, they interview her about her personal story and, like, what, what made you do the detective work that you're doing. And one of her answers was, you know, my husband and I, we really wanted kids. And we tried really, really hard for a really, really long time. Seven years. We have enough financial provision, so I tried all the, the girl meds, and he tried all the guy meds, and we were like, certainly this will work out. And we thought for sure God was going to hear our prayers. And he didn't. And she said, the thing that made it worse is that I'm praying, I'm crying, my husband's doing the same, we're doing all the meds in the whole world, and that I would go arrest 83-pound, strung-out, 
meth-addicted, crackhead prostitutes who are doing that because they want attention. And they could get pregnant without trying. And it's like, okay, that, that, that's not fair. Like, I don't care what your filter is, dude. I don't care who taught you what right and wrong and fair is and isn't. That is unfair. Kenny, why, God, or whatever's out there, why? Like, there has to be sensibility in the world. There has to be sanity. There has to be a purpose. There has to be a reason. This just feels like chaos. I'll give you one more because I want you to feel this. First week of August, my family's on a vacation. <clears throat> a, a, church, a church family let us borrow their lake house for a couple nights, which is really kind of them. And we're <clears throat> driving and winding uh, through the woods in this small town, Fair Play, South Carolina. And we round a corner in Fair Play, South Carolina. And 10 feet from the road, <clears throat> uh, on a 20-foot-wide piece of It looks like they ripped off their, um, like part of their uh, shed in the back. <clears throat> looks like vinyl siding or something. And this is a house. And 10 feet from the road, they ripped off part of their garage shed thing. And I was like, nice. You know. Um, and on it, it said, uh, white lives matter more. And it had a smiley face on each side. And it had a cross in the middle. And it said, have a nice day. And my son, 11 years old, from the back seat goes, I don't like that, Dad. That doesn't make me feel good. I said, yeah, bro, that's not good at all. So, in this country, pastors with whitish skin for 200 years in this country said that it was good to own people whose skin color was different than theirs. And they thought, oh, God's telling me to do that, and it's okay. And they took Bible verses out of context. And not only is that demonic and sadistic, I represent the people who said those kinds of things. <clears throat> like, those people would have looked like me 150 years ago. And that's not fair. That's not right. Six million Jews at the hands of Hitler and Nazi Germany for five years in the early 40s. <clears throat> that's not right. Over 50 million abortions worldwide every year. That's not right. That's not fair. If you look at ISIS and you look at the Syrian civil war and you look at the Liberian civil war, millions of lives lost, innocent lives. And I don't care what filter you inherited. I don't care if it's from grandma or mom or dad or your teachers or pop culture or whatever. Everybody's going to get to a place where they go, that is not right. That is not fair. Something's wrong. What will be done? And so the question that you should feel with an immense kind of weight it's like, all right, God. I mean, you're supposed to be really good and stuff. You're supposed to be here with us. I like singing, when peace like a river attendeth my way and sorrows like sea billows roll. But what, on what basis do I have to sing that? Like, how can I sing that and it means something? Like, God, where are you? What's up? I mean, I thought you said in the Bible, I will never leave you or forsake you. I thought you said you had purpose, you had meaning, you had, you had plans, you had a design, God. So if you look at things like that as a Christian, you better, and don't, God's not scared of your questions, you better be honest 
with yourself and with others and with God and go, all right, Lord, where are you when things like this happen? When, when, when Kenny and Melissa stories happen, when the detective thing happens, when, these, when all these things happen, you need, you need to learn to ask and not be scared because God's not scared of your questions. You need to learn to ask, all right, God, where are you? Now, another way that that question is asked is, <clears throat> why, do, why do bad things happen to good people? Like the, the detective girl, like my, like my friend Kenny, these people, it's like, I want my kids to be like these people. These are not people who are just like, wow, oh man, these, uh-uh, no, not a good, no, no, no. These are the most wonderful. So you might ask yourself the question in that way. Why do bad, terrible, awful, tragic, painful, unfair, unjust things happen to good, nice people? That's another way to, to word that question. But for the Christian, here's the biggest way to word that question. Here it is. Here it is. You ready? We believe that God is all-powerful. He is sovereign. He is in control. He calls the shots. He is the king of the universe. He does not sit on, his head, uh, sit on his throne and scratch his head to the extent of his great and good sovereignty. <clears throat> the, the Bible word is he is all-powerful. And at the same time, God is all-loving. He is more compassionate. He is more kind. He is more merciful. He is more gracious. He is more forgiving. He is more welcoming than any other person ever, than any other supposed or presupposed deity ever. And watch this. If God is all-powerful, and he is all-loving, then what the crap is going on in our world? Why didn't he do something about it? Right? That's the way that we should think about this. And I'm telling you, if you don't learn to ask the questions in the right way, and you don't learn to be honest with them, and that splinter stays in there, dude, no. Something's going to get infected. So, how, it, how, how is it? I don't want you to just be scared of the question and feel the question. Answer the question, Jim. Help me out a little bit. How can God be all-powerful and all-loving and evil still runs amok? Like, it's still everywhere. Like, where is God? Why do bad things happen to good people? How can he be both and evil still be so seemingly omnipresent? <laughs> the first time sin is used in the Bible is in... Genesis chapter 4, and it says sin is crouching at your door, and its desire is to master you. It's almost like sin is this external force that's out to get us. And how can God be all good and all loving and that still be the case and feel the case? Now, here's here's the thing. I know some of you, like, might be near the line of skeptical or cynical or apathetic or agnostic or atheistic when it comes to your faith, and you're just here for... Dude, what's her name? She's really pretty, or my mom told me to, or like, whatever, whatever, whatever. You're here for a bunch of different reasons. But I go and tell you, if you ditch your faith, which some of you will, and if you ditch your faith because, and you blame it on questions like this, and you go somewhere else and try to find a firm footing for rationality, morality, beauty, truth, and et cetera in the world, you will find no, you will find no such place that doesn't have this question. This is not merely a Christian question. This is a human question. <clears throat> And I think that Christianity pr- proposes the best answer to this question. And so we have to, we have to figure, figure it out. <laughs> why are some things good and bad? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the fairness question, and we're all educated by that. But why do some things seem so, so unjust and unfair? And where is God in all of that? Is there any real justice out there? And so the question is, what do we do with the problem of evil? How can God be all-loving and all-powerful at the same time? This is, I think one of the biggest splinters 
uh, if you will. I'll get to that in just a few minutes. I'm going to do really quickly before I get to that. I'm going to give you six answers to the question that are not good answers. And people throw these out, and I'm just like, no, that answer is trash. Like, nope, keep moving, keep going. That answer doesn't help people biblically, logically, uh, like ethically, it it doesn't help. So here are six wrong answers to the question, what do we do with the problem of evil? If you're a Christian, here are six wrong answers to the question, and then we'll do three Bible answers to the question. So here are six unhelpful answers. If you want to write them down, that's fine. If not, no big deal. Here we go. Here we go. Number one, evil isn't real. And nobody in this room is going to be like, yeah, I'm kind of on that team. Now, if you're, thanks, JJ. I mean, I want people to laugh at my jokes, but this is like, a, I'm just kidding. So we, we hear that statement. And JJ, you're actually, uh, I'm paying JJ for this. There are some people in the world, there are some religions that go, no, 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 hey, hey, nothing's evil. It's all perception. Pain is perspective. There's not objective evil and morality. Thanks, baby. There's not objective evil and morality in the world. That Listen, Eastern religions maintain that and hold to that. And I go ahead and tell you, that response, if I'm going to talk to my friend Chris, who is Kenny's brother, that response helps Chris zero. And I don't care about Chris's religion. If I didn't care about Chris's religion, to tell Chris, dude, evil doesn't happen in the world. Pain is perspective. It's just perception. That doesn't help him. What does that do for him? That doesn't help. That's, that's an unhelpful answer. Uh, evil is not real. The second unhelpful answer is that God isn't all-powerful. God isn't all-powerful. There have been, oh, wow, I, don't, I better be careful here theologically. There have been many, many attempts to be like, well, God, he's sovereign in these ways, and he's in control in these ways, and well, he doesn't know the future about these few things, and he leaves these few things open to us. But I go ahead and tell you, if God is not all-powerful, you ready for this? You shouldn't worship him. You shouldn't love him. Everybody leave right now. Stop singing. What are you doing? You're wasting your time. There are way better places to be and things to do if God is not all-powerful. If he's not the king, if he's not the sovereign, if he's not in charge, if he doesn't call the shot, if he is not loving, supreme, glorious, good, ultimate, and the king, if he's not those things, <clears throat> then you should not bother with any religion, especially Christianity, if he's not all-powerful. So God is not all-powerful is an unhelpful answer to what do we do with the problem of evil? What do we do with it? The next one is God isn't all-loving. Some people go, well, I I can't, like, put love in a test tube when it comes to God and be like, okay, you're 98% loving, so there's 2% of you that's just kind of neutral and you just kind of do what you want, and we're all just pieces on a chessboard. And No, 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 no. If God is not all-loving, for God so loved the world, it didn't say for God so judged the world, or God so hated the world, or God so needed to take his wrath out on the world. <clears throat> it said, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Right? For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but so that the world might be saved through him. You've got to read 17 too, right? <clears throat> so, <clears throat> if God is not all loving, or God, excuse me, God is not all loving, that's an unsatisfactory answer to this question. <clears throat> right? What do we do with the problem of evil? What do we do? God isn't all loving. It's not a helpful answer. <clears throat> now, um, I'm going to help you for the rest of your life in marriage really quickly. Everybody look up here. Look, 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 look. Do you know that every single lie starts out by telling the truth? Do you know that? Lies are parasitic. Science class, kids. Right? Lies are not free-floating, 100% anti-truth. A lie starts by going, I mean, this is kind of true, but... Dude, do you know the first sin in the whole world? Ready? Here it is. Here it is. Genesis 3. Here it is. Did God really say... Read your Bible and don't take it out of context. And when you're done, keep reading it. Because even Satan can take it and be like, well, 
Every lie starts by telling a little bit of the truth. Now, here's why I tell you that. I've got three more answers that aren't helpful, and every one of them has a little bit of truth in it. Okay? So here's the deal. Here's another unhelpful answer. Here it is. We suffer because God is maturing us and growing us. Now watch this. Part of that is true. Part of that is true. But God doesn't welcome us into his family so that he can beat us up and inflict pain on our lives. But if there's pain and suffering in the world and injustice in the world, he can use that in juxtaposition at, to, to our lives to change us and grow us and stretch us. But it's not the ultimate answer because that would make God seem maniacal and then make him not seem unloving. So does he take the pain of our lives to grow us and stretch us and mature us? Yes, but the, that cannot be the final answer because there's too much, other, there's too much else attached to that. Another unhelpful answer that is a little bit true. We suffer so that we can realize that God is bigger than our categories of him. Now, as a pastor, I always want to be like, yo, God's bigger than you'll ever think and ever imagine. And because of that, you should trust him more. And I'm going to stand by saying that. Psalm 145 says his greatness is unsearchable. And depending on where you fall on the Enneagram, some of you guys will be like, no, I'm too tired. I'm not going to search it out anymore. Why would we keep going? And I think the psalmist goes, that means there's more to find out. That means there's more to discover. So absolutely, God is bigger than the categories you have of him. But at the same time, God gave you the categories in which you operate and think about him. So God is not outside of this going, well, you know, because I am God and I am above the law. That means I can kind of, abri- I can kind of break the law. <clears throat> I mean, I gave it to you. and so No, 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 no. So this is a fragile one, right? This is, in the end, an unsatisfactory answer to what do we do with the problem of evil. We suffer to realize that God is bigger than our categories of him. Is that true? Yeah, a little bit. <clears throat> so I want to take the true part of that and go, all right, Lord, what is this? And then the rest of it I want to reject. Last one. <laughs> Last answer that doesn't help. We suffer... <clears throat> Because it's part of a package deal that gives us free will. We suffer because it's part of a package deal that gives us free will. <clears throat> so some people, this is, they wuss out hard and they don't use their brains well enough when they get to this problem. They go, oh, that's because God gave us free will. <clears throat> and I go, yeah, I mean, there is human responsibility. We are responsible and accountable to God. But if God gave it to us and he knew that it was going to happen, that's just a really, really long way to restate the question that we're asking, right? So saying, what do we do with the problem of evil? How can God be all loving and all powerful at the same time? Why do bad things happen to good people? Asking all those and be like, hey, free will. It doesn't do it. It restates the question. So those are six unhelpful ways to answer this question right here. And it's scary that there's a little bit of truth in every one of them. Or or the last three. It's scary that there's a little bit of truth in those. Here's a personal aside for you. Um, I'm a pastor and a super duper Bible snob. Like, I love the Bible so much. I love Jesus so much. And I all the time have doubts. Cool. Go team. You guys okay with that? I'm going to another church. I can't deal with pastors doubting. Good. You go to another church, I'll help you. They're lying. (laughs) Right? Maddie, that hurts my feelings, sweetie. I mean, you're killing me. Um, (laughs) So here's the deal. When I have doubts, when I'm like, come on, God. I thought you said X, Y, and Z. 
And God, I'm just trying to serve you down here. I'm trying to love people. I'm trying to give my time and my energy. I'm trying to give people the benefit of the doubt. I'm trying to go out of my way. I'm trying to be gracious. And this happens. So when I have doubts, when I struggle, there are two things that God uses to bring peace into my life. Two things. One is, and this might get a little abstract for a second, but just deal with it. One is that my other primary option has harder questions, and here's what I mean. My other primary option is full-blown Darwinian naturalism. And full-blown Darwinian naturalism, go team science. Like, okay, full-blown Darwinian naturalism is this. It operates by survival of the fittest. Survival of the fittest is everything is working as hard as it can to, to get by, to move on, to get on in the world. <clears throat> and if survival of the fittest is the real way that the world works, check this out. You know what that means? That means we have to high-five Hitler, okay? Because all Hitler was doing, he wasn't a racist or anti-Semitic. All he was doing was surviving to be fit. And he thought that if he could totally eliminate a single race and a single ethnicity, then he would have a certain level of survival. So my other option has harder questions. So the Christian question is, why is there still suffering? And I know God doesn't want it in his world. And what's he doing about it? This other question is, dude, I thumbs up all suffering. Everybody who's ever raped somebody or killed somebody or every terrorist group or any ISIS, anything, I have to go, dude, no big deal. You're just doing what you have to do to survive to be fit. Hey, that's the way the world works. We're just, you know, animals with consciousness, right? So when I have doubts, two things God uses to push me back to sanity and grace. And Two things. One is that my primary other logical, rational worldview option has harder questions and it's more terrifying. And the second thing is that I've never, ever seen anybody come close to disproving the resurrection of Jesus. Like if this Jewish guy's walking around saying I'm God and then he's undead three days later, I'm paying attention and you should too, all right? And here's the deal. There are Jewish historians, Jewish sources, Roman historians and Roman, Roman historians and Roman sources that all talk about and mention in their writings in the first and second century. <laughs> Uh, in, 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 like in the next 200 years after Jesus, that what happened to Jesus and what Jesus said, it's all, it's all legit. It's all real. It's all a thing. And so <clears throat> there are clearly answers that are no good, that are unhelpful. But I think there's something about Jesus that's going to point us in the right direction of how we could finally have some sa- sanity and peace as we think about our question. <clears throat> and so that's where I fall when I doubt. I look at my... I'll look at my other options and I go, oh, no, these can't be the right answers and the real answers. And then I, I look to Christ and I go, there's, there's something there. <laughs> if, he left, if he left the tomb empty behind him, there, there's something here that I need to pay attention to <clears throat> that will help me not only be able to sleep at night when it comes to these big questions, but seek to relieve the suffering in my own heart and the world around me. Not just something that can make me put my head on my pillow at night, but something that's going to like animate my soul to pursue justice, to pursue fairness, to pursue love, to pursue all those things and seek to alleviate and relieve all the pain and suffering and evil around me in Jesus' name. There's something there. Bad answers have harder questions associated with them. The Jesus answer, there's something here. And we need to think about it. <laughs> so here's how we need to think about it. Now I have... Three ways for us to respond to the problem of evil. These are the ones on screen. If you, if you have your Bible out now, we're just going to do about ten more minutes and look at just a couple verses really quick. Hebrews chapter 4, pretty please if you have it. Hebrews chapter 4. Um, the first way that I, like, 
that, I, that my brain can be relieved of this haunting demon and tension <clears throat> is to look at Hebrews 4. And man, this passage right here is one of my all-time favorites. Hebrews 4, verse 14. Hebrews 4, 14. Look at it, look at look at it. Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who is tempted in every way as we are yet without sin. So then, <clears throat> let us with confidence approach the throne of grace knowing that we'll receive mercy and find grace to help in, in our time of need. Now look at verse 15. Look, 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 look at verse 15. He is tempted in every way as we are yet without sin. Sometimes I don't believe that verse. I think, as a dude, I go, and, and gals struggle with this too, I go, Jesus did not have infinite pornography in his pocket with a cell phone. He was not tempted in every way as we are yet without sin. So I appreciate the sentiment writer of the Hebrews, but I'm not, I'm not, I'm not jiving with it. It's not happening. <clears throat> However, if you read Jesus' temptations, every single temptation he faced was something that we face. The lust of the flesh, he, he needed food because he was tempted in the wilderness for 40 days. <clears throat> so Jesus faced every single kind of pressure that we face. And here's the thing that's such, such good news. <clears throat> Watch this. Let's just say that this whole front row, I know that you can't see it if you're in the back. Let's just say that this whole front row represents the, t- the kind of temptation we endure. Temptation starts right here, and temptation ends way over here. <clears throat> Here's the deal. You and I start getting tempted right here, and we get a little bit tempted, and then we'll give in, and we'll fall to temptation. Maybe some days, if we're really paying attention to the Holy Spirit, and we're trying not to like rule the world on our own, we might get a little bit further. Here's the deal with Jesus. Jesus endured the full measure of every single temptation and comes out the other side victorious, and guess what that means? He understands the pressures that you face and the questions that you ask more than you do. Do you feel that? Jesus is our great high priest. You know what that means? He sympathizes and empathizes with people in their weakness. You know what weakness includes? Understanding. Jesus knows the crap, the questions, the insanity, the pressure, the confusion that you face, and here's what you have to believe in. It's such good news, friends. He understands it more than you do. If you were abused by a cousin or an aunt or an uncle when you were younger and you haven't told anybody about that, the shame that you feel, Jesus loves you so much and he understands that more than you do. And he wants you to run to him and trust him. If you feel a level of guilt that is incomparable and you're scared to tell people about the things that you've done, Jesus understands that more than you do. He is our great high priest who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. So let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, knowing that we'll receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. So here's the deal. Know that Jesus knows the pressure and the confusion we feel. So these questions that we're asking, this is not us finally arriving at, dude, I've just got this question. This is going to be a make or break deal for me with Christianity because I let you know, if I have questions that God doesn't answer, I'm probably smarter than God. No, stop, chill. The left one is the break. Stop. Jesus understands. Right? That's such good news, man. This, this is what can make me say it as well. Right? This, this helps take the splinter out just a little bit. That's the first thing. The second thing, Luke 13. Luke 13, if you have your Bibles, go to Luke 13. Luke chapter 13. Dude, these people are always trying to trap Jesus. Good luck. Luke chapter 13, verse 1. There were some that were present, Luke 13, verse 1, there were some that were present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. 
And he answered them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, unless you repent, then you all, all likewise perish. Verse 4. Or do you know about the 18 people on whom the tower fell in Siloam and killed them? So Jesus is talking about the problem of evil here. There's this big, huge building in Siloam, and it fell over by accident, and it killed 18 people. Jesus is saying, you know about this unjust thing? You know about this unfair thing? Like, what are you going to do about it? How should you think about God? You know about the tower on which people fell? And look at this. Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? And look what Jesus says. No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will likewise perish. So here's the deal. You know what our response is? We think, oh, God, help us. We think we're an outsider looking at all of the injustice over there, all of the sin, all of the evil, all the suffering, all the pain over there. And here's the deal. It lives in your heart. You contribute to it. You add to it. So what should you do about it? You should repent because of the brokenness that you have added to the world. You are not an outsider looking in going, man, that stuff over there is just all of that junk over there. That's making me question my Christianity. And I go, the point is that you help that apart from God's mercy in Christ. You push that along, you add to it. And Jesus goes, repent, repent. And repent is, this is my favorite word for, like visual for repent. Repent is you're clinging tightly onto something. Here's repent. You let go of your way of doing things in order to cling to God's way of doing things, which is Christ. So you repent and you let go of thinking that you're better than God because you don't have the, the answers to the questions that you want. You let go of your agenda. You let go of that. You repent because you've added to the brokenness in the world. <clears throat> now, again, none of this fixes everything. But I'm telling you, these are, in my study and in my prayers and in my, like, Crying out to God, these are kind of the best ways to think about this from Scripture as I understand it. Lastly, Revelation chapter 5. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 5. <clears throat> I want to read the whole thing, but I'm not going to. <clears throat> Dude, Revelation is pretty fun, right? <clears throat> pretty unique, pretty weird, pretty interesting. John is having these visions. He's seeing different things in his visions. <clears throat> and here, he... <laughs> He sees, uh, it's going to say a scroll in the passage, and that's just like a rolled up thing. But most commentators, most scholars and theologians will say that this scroll represents God's plans throughout history. <clears throat> Basically, how will the world, how will there be justice and peace? <clears throat> and nobody can, nobody can open it. Nobody's worthy. This is another way to ask the question that we're asking. Nobody's worthy to open that thing. <clears throat> Five one, Revelation 5.1. Then I saw on the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, a scroll, there it is, written within and on the back seal with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break the seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look inside. And I began to weep loudly because of the injustice and the sorrow and the sadness and the suffering. Because <clears throat> nobody was found worthy to open the scroll and look in. Verse 5, and one of the elders said to me, John, <laughs> stop crying. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, he has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Verse 6. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. Seven horns and seven eyes, which are seven spirits of God sent out into the world. And then he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and 24 elders... <coughs> 
They fell down before the Lamb, each holding harp, golden bowls full of incense with the prayers of saints, and they sang a new song. Worthy are you to take the scroll and open the seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Here's the deal. When John sees Jesus as a lamb, a lamb means that it was slaughtered. Slaughtered means the crucifixion. When Jesus went to the cross, this is the greater problem of evil. I'll go ahead and tell you right now. Why do good things happen to bad people is a backwards question. It's just a backwards question. The real question is, why do bad things happen to good people? And that only ever happened once, and that was Jesus. That only ever happened once, and that was Jesus. And Jesus took into himself all of the injustice, all of the unfairness, all of the sin, all of the evil, all of the suffering, and all of the pain in the world that you and I let leak out into the world. He took it willingly and gladly into himself. And he is the one who is worthy to open the scroll and unlock the seals. And because of Jesus, here's the deal. And here's the thing that gives me the most peace. Because of Jesus, evil does not get final say and sway. Period. Period. It doesn't. Not a chance. Because of Jesus, because of his cross, because of his resurrection, suffering isn't final. Sin doesn't get the last word. Shame doesn't get to be a haunting demon forever. Guilt can't be anvils that weigh you down. Jesus faced more pain than we ever will, and he was victorious. Injustice is temporal. Hate has an expiration date. Corruption has a shelf life. And the cross tells us that evil can go to hell, and it will one day. That's what the cross tells us. And the resurrection, listen, the resurrection of Jesus says the way it is right now will not be the way that it will be. And so either you can get down with that and believe, yes, Jesus, I trust you. I got some unanswered questions, and I feel angry about it, but I'm still going to trust you. I'm going to believe you. I'm going to hope in you. I'm going to look to you. I'm going to pray to you. I'm going to cry to you. I'm going to rejoice in you no matter what I feel. And my unanswered questions, you're not scared about them because there's a tune empty in Palestine. Even if we can't comprehend how it all works, God is all-loving, and he is all-powerful. And his all-loving power and his all-powerful love wins in the end. <clears throat> so, how does this all work, Jim? <laughs> Some of it, I, <clears throat> I don't know. But I know from Scripture <clears throat> that Jesus understands all of the pain and the, like, the question asking that I'm doing. <clears throat> he understands all the tension in my brain. And I also know that I am not above it, that I have let pain and suffering and evil leak out into the world, and then I need to ask God to forgive me of that. <clears throat> and the climactic place where Jesus understands, where he sympathizes, is at the cross. There, he took on all of the pain and sin and death and hell and suffering and injustice in the entire universe. <clears throat> and it still couldn't hold him down. And so, <clears throat> lastly, here's the last thing I'll say. We don't have an answer that solves the problem of evil. We have a relationship. When you're in right relationship with Jesus, it doesn't mean you have to shut your mouth on your questions. It means you get to take a deep breath before and after you ask them because he is good and he is God and evil and sin don't win. We don't have a formal, proper, tidy, cute, rational, flawlessly rational answer that solves the problem of evil in the world, but we have a relationship. And I tell you right now, it is so sweet to be in a friendship with Jesus because he can give you peace when this stuff is pressing down. It really can, I promise.
Um, put up your Bibles and books for, thing, uh, for a second. I just want to give you guys um, a few seconds to think about this and to process and to pray. Band, you guys can go ahead and jump up. And here's how I want to wrap this evening. I just want to walk us through those last three things that I put up on the screen and give you 15 or 20 seconds to respond to each of those. You guys go ahead and uh, bow your heads and close your eyes. And I'm just going to talk about each one of those three things and then give you time to talk to the Lord about them. Tell Jesus, thank you that he understands. Thank you that you understand. Take time. Say, Jesus, thank you that you get this and that you're not a, a bystander to this. Say, thank you. Next. Don't think that you are above this if this question is not answered to your liking. Rather, repent of the evil and arrogance and pain and suffering that you have let leak in the world. Whether that's through a friendship or a judgmental posture in your heart, just repent. Let go of your way of doing things and cling to Christ. Talk to Jesus about that. All right, lastly, specifically, tell Jesus that you praise him and you worship him and you trust him because he went to the cross, which is the ultimate problem of evil. How can God become man and take all sin and death into himself? So praise him and thank him for the cross that he went there to save us and to give evil its final day. Thank him and praise him specifically for the cross. Jesus, we love you so much. And uh, we trust you right now. We cast ourselves on your mercy. And we're going to, even if we don't feel it, we're going to say that we believe that you're good and you're wise. You're all powerful and you're all loving. Thank you that we have a relationship with you that will one day make these things make sense. We're just going to step out in faith and believe and say that you're awesome and you're worthy and you're our great high priest. We're going to come before you with confidence, knowing that we can receive mercy and grace in our time of need. And so we want to receive right now peace and hope and mercy and grace to trust you and follow you in the face of uh, annoying little splinters in our fingers. Jesus, we love you. You're the best. Amen.